Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Condello. Welcome church family. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And thanks so much for springing forward with us today. And uh, if you didn't quite yet do that, then just be really thankful for live stream. So uh, we're going to dive right in. Several years ago when I lived in Georgia, I took a bunch of students camping in the North Georgia mountains. We went to this uh, campground, almost a campground. It was very rustic kind of thing. So like a decade ago, someone had cleared a field and they put some pallets up with these canvas roofs on them and they were actually open on each end. So it was just kind of a canvas A-frame and there was a fire pit and some trees and grass. And that was fine. You know, we want to get the kids out of the suburbs into nature so that they can decide that they want to be back in the suburbs. But as we were setting up camp, I noticed an unusual amount of spiders. There was a whole lot of spiders. Georgia has uh, these wolf spiders. They're large. They have these really thick bodies. I was going to show you a picture, but I didn't want you to turn off live stream. Kind of described as robust and agile hunters. Now, spiders in the day, no big deal. But spiders at night, that's a big deal. That's a problem. So as we were setting up camp, I made it my goal to eliminate all of the spiders around the area where I would be sleeping. And so as we kind of got there, I'm going through and webs were everywhere inside and we're getting them all out and I'm stepping on things and sweeping things out because there's no rest. Every spider must go. One spider left is one spider too many. And you know that you're not sleeping well at night knowing that there are spiders crawling on you. And then there's that statistic about the number of spiders people eat every year in their sleep, which is eight. And so I didn't want to be a part of that statistic. So I did my best to clear everything out. And finally, when we got in there and laid down, the leader next to me shined his flashlight on the inside of our tent, on the canvas. And there was a huge spider right over my sleeping bag. And he thought it would be a great idea if he just grabbed something and threw it at the spider. Now, of course, he missed the spider. It vibrated the canvas. And the spider dropped off in the dark onto my sleeping bag. And that was it. Game over. I was out of there like a shot. I had my flashlight out. I was looking for this thing everywhere and actually never found it, which means I never slept. Because there's no rest when you know that that monster is out there. And so I woke up very groggy the next morning, still on the alert for these spiders. And that's obviously a very small thing, but I think the principle works on a much bigger level. That there's no rest for us. There's no true freedom for us until that which destroys us is destroyed. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this idea that the destruction of sin is for the deliverance of the saints. The destruction of sin is for the deliverance of the saints. The defeat, once and for all, of sin and sinful systems is what allows us to have true freedom. You see, in Revelation, there are significant judgments. But these judgments, they're a rescue operation. 
They're for our liberation. These judgments bring us healing. These judgments are all about our freedom. This destruction that's going to happen will be for our deliverance. They will bring us out of darkness into a glorious new light. Now, these are difficult to read, but we don't want to get caught up in the means and completely miss the meaning. So we're continuing on in our series, Overcomer. We're studying the book of Revelation. And last week, Rob did a great job with a behold message about beholding who the Lamb is and beholding God and singing our redemption song. And we got to the point in Revelation 14, it's kind of a look back and a look forward. And he laid out a little bit of where we're going. So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And to be honest with you, at the outset, This is another difficult passage. Revelation 15 and 16 begins and ends with the word wrath. Revelation has three sets of seven-part judgments, and several weeks ago I had the distinct opportunity to speak about the first set, the seven seals, and we talked about this idea that without judgment there's no justice. And then Jennifer brought us the seven trumpets, and she gave us this great framework to look at, the framework of the created order, because we have free will, and the framework of mercy, that there's a whole lot of mercy going on because there's opportunity for repentance. And as I read Revelation, it's far more fierce than I ever remember it, but it's far more gracious than I ever imagined it would be. But today, we come to the last of the seven-part judgments of God, the plagues, the, the seven bowls of God's wrath. And here's the thing. With the bowls, there's no more fractions. There's no more warnings. There's no more chances. The destruction is absolutely complete. It's absolutely devastating. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And I want to take a minute to set the stage, because to be honest with you, we enter this set of seven judgments on a different pathway than, than I actually imagined when I got there. Verse 1 says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance, like the entire book of Revelation has been. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. And we need to know that here we are coming to the end of this. We're coming to the end. It's happening. In Revelation 1, verse 8, it says this, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who still is to come, the Almighty One. Now, in this passage today, we're going to read, it says, You are just, O Holy One, who is who always was. But it doesn't say who is to come because he's here. He's come. This is it. We finally come to the end. This is the end that is the beginning of that which will never end. We're at the end that brings us to the beginning of that which will never end. Verse 2, I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them, and maybe this is where we get that harp imagery, but we see them standing on the sea. 
What a beautiful picture. Steve talked to us several weeks ago about Revelation 4, where the sea is this picture of chaos and destruction and the unknown. And here we have the saints standing victoriously on it. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is a hyperlink to Exodus chapter 15. It's the song of deliverance they sang when they passed through the Red Sea. It's, it's called the Song of the Sea, and it's traditionally, it's sung every Sabbath afternoon as a reminder. Now, if you can picture this, we have to understand about the Song of Moses to get in the proper mindset for what the rest of the passage is going to bring us. Imagine you're held captive in Egypt. Imagine you are a slave in a broken system, in a system that's always against you, always meant to abuse you, always meant to minimize you, and imagine your cry for help. Imagine your call to God for deliverance. And you're not just calling out to God for a little bit more free time. You're not just saying, hey, it would be great if we could have Sunday afternoons off and a 15-minute coffee break. You are calling out to God for complete freedom. You know that total deliverance requires the destruction of this system. But here we have, at the beginning of this final destruction, a song of praise. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. All nations will come before you because of your righteous deeds. The term righteous deeds literally means God's judgments that bring about his righteousness. It literally means God's wrath that makes everything right. Now, we can't ignore this idea of wrath. We see it time and time again in scriptures, time and time again in the New Testament. But we have to understand that God's wrath is not this emotional flare-up like we can get caught in. Not that emotional flare-up, not this uh, irrational passion that sometimes we have. God's wrath is a burning zeal for what is right, coupled with a perfect hatred for all that's evil. God is serious about right and wrong. He is serious about good and evil. So don't look at this wrath as spiteful or biased or mean-spirited judgment. We need to look at this wrath as pure and sinless, which is why it has caused the nations to come together and worship. You see, we could look at this and wonder, how is this reason for celebration and not anxiety? Because they understand that this, this destruction is for their deliverance. It's the Israelites rejoicing to God because the sea that they just crossed through safely has swallowed their pursuers. It's us worshiping God, knowing that he is going to set everything right. We live in a world that desperately needs God's justice. The strong abuse the weak. People in positions of power use it for selfish purposes. People in the margins get lost. There's deep hurt and pain and fear and pride and greed. And it seems like we should be making more progress than we're making, but we're not. It seems like things should be getting better, but they seem to be getting worse. It's that societal entropy where things are in disorder and random and uncertain. And we cry out to the all-powerful, all-knowing God, knowing that he's the only one 
who can bring order out of this chaos. And it's a cry that every generation makes. We see this cry in Psalm 58. David cries out to God. He says, break off their fangs. Smash their jaws. David is saying, God, I need you to squish all these spiders because I can't find any rest in my life. Would you do that? The response to God's wrath is worship because it's liberating and it's healing and it's a rescue operation and it's about freedom. Imagine the worship of the Israelites after 400 years of slavery, after crossing through the sea, after that deliverance. God's wrath requires us to trust him and not get stuck in intellectualism. Too often we want to superimpose our own ideas of justice onto his. We take our bias standards and we think, God, you have to play by these rules because this is what I think is fair. And if I think it's fair, then you should think it's fair. But in reading scripture, and in particular, as we read this passage today, we need to trust that God's way is best. We need to trust that God sees far more than we will ever see. And we need to trust that God's heart is good. And that's why we see, even in Psalm 96, and it's also in Psalm 98, the same passage, it says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the whole world with justice and the nations with his truth. God is coming to judge and he's coming to judge in truth, which is cause for worship because he is able to do so. And we need to remember that God is not struggling to keep up. God is not hoping that somehow he can pull this whole thing off. God does not need our advice about how he should come and judge. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's completely in control. He's coming to judge with justice and truth. And he is patiently accomplishing his plan to rescue his people. And this is what causes the nations to gather and worship. And so we see at the outset, before we even get to the judgments, the stage is set. And it's set that God has come and the people worship. And then we come to this solemn moment. The redemption song has been sung. And now the destroyer is going to be destroyed. And we need to kind of frame this a little bit to the third angel from chapter 14 that Rob talked about last week reminded us that there are consequences Forgiving your allegiance to the beast. And we need to understand that these judgments in chapter 16 are directed at the followers of the beast. Some of these will affect the entire earth, but these judgments are specifically for those who are branded by the beast, who worship him, who, like Pharaoh, have rejected God and refuse to repent. First Peter chapter 3 says, God isn't slow about bringing all of this about. He's patient because he doesn't want anybody destroyed. God wants all to come to redemption. But 1 Peter 3 also says the day of the Lord is coming and, and here we are. And we need to understand that these people have had every opportunity to repent, but they've refused. They would rather go down with the beast than suffer and be liberated with the lamb. 
They refuse help and hope and grace to the very end, and they insist on self-sufficiency at the cost of their very lives. And so we're going to read some strong imagery today, and that imagery is meant to kind of go beyond our intellect and touch our emotions and our imaginations. And we're going to see these kind of concentric circles growing as the earth is enveloped by these. And if you're familiar with the the plagues of Egypt, you're going to see some similarities. So I'm just going to read what these judgments are. The first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became like blood. And and this is because the blood of the martyrs was spilled. And it's interesting that the saints are alive because of blood. The saints walk free because of blood, and yet those who refuse that, who refuse to be washed in it and cleansed by it, end up dying by it. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God. This is a... Fire's often judgment, and if you can imagine solar flares leaping out from the sun and scorching the earth. But as we see in chapter 7, verse 16, the followers of the Lamb are not scorched by the sun. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Complete darkness. This was a judgment against the throne of the beast, and It's a darkness you can feel. And if you remember the plagues in Exodus chapter 10, it says it was so dark that they couldn't see anything and no one moved. It's this picture of complete isolation. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and it dried up. Now that might seem a little bit random to you in the nature of the rest of these things, but this is what's going to lead us to the final battle. This paves the way for Armageddon. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in chapter 17 to 19, but Armageddon is more than just a name or a place. It really signifies this ultimate event. It's, it's the last stand of the Antichrist against uh, Christ, and it's the kind of the new beginning. And and spoiler alert, Jesus shows up and and then it's over. Uh, And at this point in chapter 16, you have three evil demon frogs emerging from the mouths of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. And they spread horrible propaganda. And that was relating back to a plague in Egypt of the frogs there as well. And then we get to the seventh. And it says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And this is it. This is a picture of total and final judgment. And that's a hyperlink to Ephesians 2, referring to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. And it was poured out into the air, and there were earthquakes, and there were hailstones, and everything is completely leveled. And through all of these judgments, the people who have this mark, the people who worship the beast, refuse to repent. They believe in God enough to know that it's his hand causing it, but they refuse to accept the outstretched hand of Christ offering them freedom, offering them forgiveness, offering them healing and redemption. 
They have this anger that's fueled by this self-pity and this self-centeredness, but they never allow this anger and this confusion to be transformed into trust. And we don't want to be that way. We want to continue to lean in. We want to continue to trust. We know that this destruction is for our deliverance. We want to wake up and we want to be ready. As a matter of fact, in the middle of this chapter is this amazing verse. Verse 15. It says, look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And this is a hyperlink to a whole lot of different places in the New Testament. It's a hyperlink to 2 Peter chapter 3 and to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and to Luke 12. And there's other. And the Lamb is saying, stay awake. Be ready. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Keep, Keep your clothes ready. This is an allusion to priests and Levites who had night watch at the temple. And they were to keep the fire burning on the altar. And if a watchman walked around and he saw one of them sleeping, he had the option of taking a piece of coal from the fire and placing it on their garments. And of course, that would catch their garments on fire. And when you wake up and your clothes are on fire, you stand up, you shed your robes and run. And so the lamb is saying, don't fall asleep. Be ready. Stay alert. And as I was reading this and came to that verse, I kept thinking, at this point in Revelation, how could anyone miss what's going on? There are so many big things happening. How could people be asleep at this moment? And I don't know. Maybe we can nod off because it's the last set of three and, well, we've heard it all before. Maybe we've become desensitized to the violence or to the wrath. Maybe we can think it's all about them. It's all about those people. They have it coming. You reap what you sow. But I'm okay. I have it all together, at least more together than a whole lot of other people. And we persist in this defensive posture that we've begun to live with, always kind of justifying our actions. And we slowly drift off to sleep like the disciples in the garden. Maybe we've been lulled to sleep by our own comfort. Maybe we just feel like we have it all and we don't need anything else. But Jesus is saying, even in the middle of all this that's going on, be mindful, stay awake, be ready. You see, we need to stay awake because it's so easy to give our allegiance to these systems that are being condemned. We need to stay awake because the world needs our faithful witness to the grace and truth of God. We need to stay awake because there will be a point at which repentance is no longer an option. And so we stay awake. We remain ready. But how do we remain ready? We've been talking about that throughout this series. We've been giving kind of things to hang on to as we've been going. I want to remind us of just a few of these things. This is our resistance language. We want to saturate in Scripture. We want to marinate in prayer. We want to walk in the way of the Lamb, not powering up, but in humility. 
We talked earlier about worship. We want to worship because God is our certainty in the midst of this uncertainty. And this is how we embrace all of the unknown that we're facing. This is how we hold on to hope. And we need to share the grace and truth of God. We need to continue to share the good news as an encouragement to believers and as a lifeline to the lost. There's a whole lot of ways that we can remain ready, and we want to. We want to stay awake because we know that there is a day that things are coming to completion. And that's how this passage began. 15 verse 1, God's wrath will be brought to completion. This passage also closes with the same thought. In chapter 16, verse 17, after the seventh bowl, it says, A mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, it is finished. That time is coming. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, this is what Jesus said on the cross. It's in John chapter 19. And John wrote that there. And John wrote that here. Now, in, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus says it is finished, in the Greek, it literally means paid in full. The debt we owe God because of Abraham, or excuse me, because of Adam's sin and our own sin is finally and forever paid for. Our debt is finished. And not only is it finished, it's removed as far as the east is from the west. And I love that. The cross itself is a great and spectacular act of judgment. And sin and death were condemned and executed so that we might live. And only Jesus could truly say and do this. It is finished. Our debt is paid. But the Greek word for it is finished in Revelation is different. It means to come into being, to emerge. It means a transition from one to the next. It signifies change. And what it really means is it means coming from darkness to dawn. God is saying it is finished. We're coming out of the darkness into a glorious new day from persecution and trouble and anxiety comes victory, comes freedom from destruction to deliverance. It is coming. It will happen. In 1948, the Communist Party had seized control of Czechoslovakia. And this meant there were no rival political parties. It meant state-controlled media. It also meant the once rich religious heritage became persecuted. It saw a significant number of clergy imprisoned. And it led into decades of difficulty and trials and struggles for the people of God. But in 1989, 41 years later, the Velvet Revolution occurred. It had been many years in the making, but the people of Czechoslovakia finally stood up against this corrupt system, and the numbers were too much for the government to ignore, and eventually the government surrendered power to a more democratic system. Spontaneous celebrations erupted all over the country, and on November 27th, in a country that had not heard church bells ring for 41 years, these church bells began to ring across the entire country. And I read the pigeons were just as surprised as the people were. There was a church in the center of Prague. And it put a sign out front, a sign that it wasn't allowed to have for 41 years, but it put a sign out front 
to acknowledge the 41 years of struggle, but to also acknowledge the deliverance. And it summed it all up with three simple words. The lamb wins. The lamb wins through all of the persecution, through everything that we're walking through. God has launched a rescue operation that he is powerful enough to accomplish. And we read here the final outcome. The lamb wins. Would you pray with me? We do want to rejoice when we read this. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to stir our hearts to rejoice, to trust, to faith in what you are doing in the world. And we trust that you will destroy the systems that oppress your people and you will deliver them. And so I pray that you would keep us ready, that you would keep us mindful, that we would stay awake, that we wouldn't fall asleep at the wheel. Allow us to continue to worship you in the midst of this. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.